Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. Today, we're finally going to talk about the devil and demons. We're in our spiritual warfare series. We've been talking about spiritual warfare with the world, with the flesh. And finally, today, we're going to talk about battling with the devil and with demons. I'm Pastor Brian, joined in the studio by Pastor Ross. Ross, I think we should probably start by addressing the elephant in the room, right? Some people are probably out there saying, this is baloney. I don't believe in all that demon stuff. That's not real. Some people might even read the Bible, the New Testament, and say, that's crazy that there are demons in there. I don't believe in it. And and then you've got people on the other end of the spectrum who who see a demon behind every bush. So right. we're going to bring some clarity to this, but how does the popular culture today view this whole topic? Well, that's really interesting. There's that same kind of dichotomy, because in large part of popular culture, you'd say people are are very much if you can't see it, it isn't real. Uh, but then there's this whole other thing it reflected in popular horror movies and so forth, in popular literature, Stephen King and others, that have these malevolent spirit forces at work in the world, and um, they seem to be all-powerful, and and the whole plot of the movie is trying to escape from their clutches or somehow uh, defeat them. And so you've got this same kind of um, paradox in our popular culture. There's uh, There's... I don't know whether people really believe that the characters in the movies actually exist, mm-hmm. but there is a, certainly open open to that at least. So we're gonna what we're gonna do today is we're just gonna clear it all up. This is but this is probably the most fun podcast for me to prepare for, because I honestly, Russ, I wanted to know how to think about this biblically. I've heard a lot of stuff in my life about Satan, about demons. But I really wanted to know, what does the Bible say about it? Where, mm-hmm. where can we find real, solid, biblical evidence for the spiritual world? And the, the first thing for people to understand before we g- even get into this, and we're going to give 10, we're gonna give 10 <laughs> truths, so we're going to have to go yeah. kind of quickly through this. The first five are going to be about demons. The last five are going to be about Satan specifically. And again, we're going to tie all of this to Scripture, because we, wanna, we don't want to just believe what we heard from some preacher— just like we don't want to believe yeah. what we've seen in a movie or, a, exactly. or read in a book, we right. also don't want to just believe what we've heard growing up from some... We want to see what the Bible has to say about it. And surprisingly, the Bible has, I, I would say, comparatively little to say about some of this stuff. So it'll be interesting, though, to see what Scripture does say. But for sure, for sure, the Bible says Satan is real, demons are real, for sure that if... If it was true in the New Testament that Jesus interacted and was fighting, having this battle with Satan and demons, then we need to recognize nothing has changed, Mm -hmm. that maybe it looks a little different in our culture, in our country today, because of course Satan doesn't want us to believe in him or in demons, but without a doubt, it's a real thing. But we want to clear clear up some of the sensationalized parts of this. Yeah, and I would just add to that, that you know, if you look at Jesus, he... He acted as and spoke as if the demonic world and the reality of Satan was definitely a thing. You know, he talked, he cast demons out, like you mentioned, but he also spoke about Satan in many conversations as if Satan is real and had real effect in the world. So based on Jesus' own authority and his own example, then we have to say, yeah, there's something here that we need to to reckon with. But I think you're right about uh, different cultures are going to experience... Um, this demonic activity in different ways. All right, so let's get to it. Ten 
things every Christian should know about Satan and his demons. Number one, well, let's let's do demons first. All right, five five things on demons. Yeah, here All we right. go. Number one, demons. Let's define what a demon is. Demons are fallen angels who were cast out of heaven. So demons were not created demons. Right. Demons were created. They're created beings, right. but they were created as angels first. But but then they. They fell from grace, and they were cast out of heaven. Where do we get this in Scripture? Yeah, there's a couple places. In, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And so there's, there's angels who rebelled against God, who had a, had a fall, kind of a fall of their own, like human beings did in a sense. And so you know, God has, is dealing with them and will deal with them, um, because of their rebellion against him. Now that's not there's not a lot of scripture. You just read 2 Peter 2:4. People need to write that down. Go read that, study it for yourself. That's one of the few passages that really makes it clear. Again, we know demons exist. It's just we're talking about the origin of demons. Yeah. Apparently the biblical authors weren't that interested in that. God didn't really care to give us a whole lot more information, which I appreciate because we shouldn't really make our lives about demons or yeah, Satan. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and so there's way more on salvation, on Jesus, on all the good stuff, and there's there's comparatively very little on the demonic stuff. So maybe we should keep it that way. In well, our and I know we would love to we would love to be able to suss out the whole story and you know the origins and everything else. But that isn't really where the rubber meets the road for us, as we're going to see as we move on in terms of daily spiritual warfare. Um, in, in a sense. Um, they're here, and we don't necessarily need to know how they came about, although there's some implications of that. But on the whole, well, I think we know what we need to know. Okay, so number one, demons are fallen angels who are cast out of heaven. Number two, this is interesting. This is new for me to really wrap my mind around and, and understand. Some demons are already bound, and apparently others are influencing the world. So this, this is, it comes from a couple of places. First of all, 2 Peter 2, 4, you just read yeah. that, about, about uh, angels who sinned, they were thrown into hell, and they were being held there until the day of judgment. Jude 1, verse 6, actually says the same thing. He says, I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. So Jude 1 goes along with 2 Peter 2 that tells us about sort of the origin of demons and that they were angels thrown out, and they were, they're bound. Apparently, these demons are already bound. They're not getting out. So are there other demons that aren't bound? Well, uh, apparently there are because the, the, the whole New Testament shows Jesus interacting with them, and then... You know, Ephesians chapter 6 says, warns us that we're in a battle against, not against flesh and blood enemies in verse 12, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. It calls them mighty powers in the dark world and evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so, you know, in the heavenly places, in this, in the spiritual sphere of things. And so, you know, I've never been able to figure out, like, what does it mean that some are bound and some are free, and why God did that and how that all works out. It'll all work out in the end, because eventually, in the final judgment, they'll all be bound. But, um, yeah, the ones that are still at work in the world are the ones that concern us. 
And that leads to the third thing you need to know about demons, and it's that they have very limited power. Demons are not omniscient, for example, right, Ross? Demons cannot read our minds. Demons are not like God. Demons are created beings. So just like angels, and this is just one example, angels mm-hmm. can't read our minds. Right. Demons can't read our minds. Um, so it's important for us to know that, that the, the demons and the, the, those that are not bound, those that we're fighting against in this world, those that Jesus even fought against, they, they probably can observe the physical world. They can draw conclusions but they can't read our minds. That's just one example. Right, I think that, and that, that is where it's helpful to understand the origin of the demons, because if we know that they're created beings, they may have been powerful, they may still be powerful, but, but, they're, but they're not equal to God. They're subservient to God they're, because they're created, and so they're limited. They're a different kind of being than human beings, but they have limitations that are built in, and that's good to know that. Yeah, 1 John 4, 4 says, You belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the Spirit who lives in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. I think it's really important for people to understand that the power that we have is so much greater. It's it's not even a fair fight. That Jesus is the creator of the universe, that even when we talk about Satan, we're going to get into that in just a little bit. Even when we talk about Satan, and certainly demons, all the other demons, it's not even close. Their power, their authority, compared to the authority that we have in Jesus. Yeah, so this is good to remember, because, because we can fall into these two different extremes on it, on, on demonic activity. You can you know, minimize it and say, no, it's not really real, or it doesn't really matter. But a lot of times Christians can can blow it up out of proportion and, and become fearful and become, you know, like, and feel powerless and helpless in f- before what they conceive of as, as the power of, de- of demons. And really, no, neither extreme is, is really accurate. Okay, so the next, the next truth about demons addresses the person who says, okay, do I need a priest? Do I need a pastor? Do I need a holy man? to deal with demons, to fight demons. And the truth is, according to the Bible, remember, we're taking all this from Scripture. According to the Bible, every Christian can fight demons. You don't have to call your pastor over, although you can. You can. Pastor's willing to help, but the pastor doesn't have a, you know, like a certification right. that, that trumps you or anything like that, you know, uh, or a priest. Like in the movies, you know, they got to go get a Catholic priest to do an exorcism. Yeah, and the, and the early disciples realized this, and not just the 12, but it says in Luke 10, verses 17 and 18, this is after Jesus had sent out 72 disciples. So these are the regular guys. These are, yeah. these are not just... This is just, the, kind of the rank and file. Yeah. This is the rank and file. We're not talking about Jesus's you know, inner circle here. We're talking about the 72 that go out. Jesus sends them out to do ministry, and they come back and joyfully report to Jesus, Lord... Even the demons obey us when we use your name. And so they, the, the 72 were sort of surprised. Yeah. They, they thought that this was something that only Jesus could do. They saw Jesus casting out demons. They saw Jesus fighting demons and, and ha- exercising authority over demons. Maybe they saw some of the 12 do it. I don't know if they did or not yet. But they were shocked that they had that authority. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and so the fact is that they learned that they did have the authority. They might have been surprised, but boom, there it was, you know. And so, really, like the ordinary followers of Jesus, 
you know, just like us, just like us today. We have the authority. It's not our authority. I, I never would, you know, uh, engage the spiritual battle with the demonic powers, it, whether it's uh, overtly or whether it's through, like, temptations of the flesh and the, and the world. You'd never do that in my own power. I never say, man, I have more power. I can handle this. But I have this delegated authority from Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, and, and belong, because we belong to him, then we can win this battle uh, be, because the, great, the one, like we said a minute ago, who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. Ross, in your years of ministry, have you ever experienced uh, demonic activity that you had to address pastorally? Or? Um, not, not very directly, not in terms of like, you know, what we're talking about, the overt activity, like, um, you know, objects moving or, or you know, whatever. Uh, people being, we'll talk about uh, people being uh, controlled entirely by a demon. I've yeah. never, ex- I've, I've, I've experienced some things that, that, that seem to certainly have fingerprints of demonic activity on them. People have, have come to, from time to time and said, there's a certain phenomenon happening in my house. Can we pray over the house? Can we dedicate the house to, the, to Jesus? And, uh, but I haven't witnessed it much personally um, on my own. Yeah, it's interesting because I've witnessed it very little myself, but where I have encountered demonic activity generally is overseas. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, You know, we have a missionary that we support in Indonesia. I remember a couple of years ago, he was sharing with us about how he was doing work in Indonesia, and the way it works is when people would come to faith, and in that country, they have to be pretty discreet about it, mm-hmm. but when people would come to faith, they would bring them into uh, this weekend experience where they would where they would do prayer and worship. And during the prayer and worship time, he said every single time they would do this, and they did this several times a year as, as many as people, there's just a movement of God in his ministry. It's really cool to hear about. And as people are coming out of a false religion and they're coming to faith in Jesus Christ, he said, you just had to be, it was almost like clockwork. Mm-hmm. He said, we would just be having prayer and, and, uh, and worship and Every, all the leaders, all the missionaries and, and altar workers, they would call it in their, in their tradition, they said we were just ready because we knew about a, an hour or two into the worship mm-hmm. time that all of a sudden people would begin to manifest demonic activity. And he said you would be just, just doing this. It was almost like aerobics. You would be exerc- You would be sweating and struggling with these people as you're praying for them mm-hmm. and, and, and pleading Jesus over their lives and, and, and speaking the name of Jesus over their lives as these demons, what he described as the demons of false religion, I guess is what they would call it, mm-hmm. were literally being cast out of these people's lives. I'm not yeah. sure exactly what that means. Yeah, what that, yeah. But but he but in that culture it was the manifestation was very very physical and he said at a certain point it would just release and those people then would be free of the mm-hmm. of the spirit of false religion in their life it was pretty powerful to hear him tell yeah. the story and it didn't happen once he said it would happen every single time and they'd have to train up their people to do this kind yeah. of ministry the same thing when we were in Thailand we were in an area that was. Um, the small villages, they were nominally Buddhist, but in practice they were animistic, meaning the spirits really were what, what they would placate the spirits that ruled. And so there was a lot of, a lot of demonstrations of um, the activity of spirits and spirit life in the village, and that's really what their norm was. They lived in fear of these spirits and, 
and tried to keep the spirits happy. And so every time somebody came to faith in Christ, there was there was a overt um, battle, and then boom, the person was released when in Christ, and then then and then the battle looks different, I guess, from that point on. Okay, so the the last thing we want to say about demons. Uh, addresses something, uh, some language I think that can be a little confusing for people, but I think it's important for us to address it. Probably it's the thing that people are listening to this podcast for because they're interested in this concept of demon possession. And the thing we want to say about it for sure is that demons cannot possess a Christian. It's important for people to understand demons cannot possess a Christian, but I think we even need to back up and talk about this idea of demon possession in the first place. Ross, is demon possession even a thing biblically? Yeah, it is. I mean, um, you know, we look at uh, stories like you were just recounting from Indonesia, and we say, oh, that, that we use a lot of Christians are using the stories to determine how they understand demonic activity, and there's a certain point in that. There's a those are data points for sure. But ultimately, we're looking at Scripture to understand and interpret those stories. So there, there's, there's one, one key word that is used throughout the, the Gospels in particular that talks about um, the full control of a demonic uh, a presence within a person. So we have a story of, like, the, the Gerasene demoniac, he's called, who has this legion of demons, and Jesus casts them out, they go into the pigs, and the pigs run off the cliff and die. And th- this word... It, t- uh, to give you the Greek transliteration, it's um, demonize. So the Greek word is is similar to that word, um, but in English we'd say that that people are demonized. And I think because that's a little obscure, then our translators in English have used the phrase demonic possession or possessed by a demon to um, try to render that idea of demonized. But but demonized, when you look at all the cases of it in the Bible. What it, it represents is that there is a, a full, complete demonic presence and control within that person. The, the, de, the demons are, uh, have the power to uh, control the person's physical actions, uh, like the guy who would break his chains, or um, they could speak through the voice or through the mouth of the, of the demonized person. And so that is a, that is a phenomenon. And, and I guess my, my position would be that, that when you become a Christian— then the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And so I don't know how a, a demonic a spirit could take up residence in you while the Holy Spirit also takes up residence in you because the Holy Spirit, we said before, is way more uh, powerful than any demonic spirit. So really, if you think about being demonized, it, you, it's a good way to think about it is just different levels of control that you're giving to Satan or his demons— and you know we've talked about this throughout this series that that the way spiritual warfare works is you you allow footholds to become strongholds in your life. So I would say, and this is a warning to Christians out there, that you can, in fact, Paul said this: don't give the devil a foothold. So right. you can give the devil a foothold in in your life if you're not careful. You can give the devil a, a foothold, and that foothold can even lead to a stronghold in your life where you're just allowing the enemy to have more and more influence over your life. But right. if you're a follower of Jesus, the, the enemy cannot have complete influence over you. In fact, James 4, 7, I love that it says, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
that's such a great thing to remember is we just if we would resist the devil's influence in our lives and and hopefully you're learning to resist the footholds that he can establish in your life that if you resist the devil, he's going to flee from you. He's not going to continue to try to have control and influence over your life. Right, and that's a great verse to understand this, because if you look at the uh, demonized people in the, in the Gospels that Jesus interacted with, they had no power to uh, cast the demon out themselves. They had no power to resist the authority or the control of that demonic presence. It, it, took, it took Jesus, an outside force representing God, to be able to do it for them. So this tells us that, that Christians are in a different position than that. Christians, because the Holy Spirit is in us, that we have the capacity to resist the devil. He, in other words, he will never be able to take over full control of our lives. All right, so that was five things about demons. Let's review them real quick. Demons are fallen angels who are cast out of heaven. Number two, some demons are already bound. Others are influencing the world. Number three, demons have very limited power. Number four, every Christian can fight demons. And number five, demons cannot possess a Christian. Okay, so five things about demons. Now, Ross, let's talk about five things about Satan. Okay. And, and we're, we're going to start with this. It's important for people to know this. Satan is just a fallen angel. Mm -hmm. So just like we talked about with demons, really in a sense, we can apply everything we just talked about with demons, we can apply it to Satan, because right. Satan just is, I, I, I think if you consider military terms, and this is, we're talking about spiritual warfare, Satan is just a demon with higher rank. Right, he's than like the, the chief demon, you yeah. could say. Yeah, That's right. Exactly, but, but he's the same kind of being, and same, same class of being. And, and so where, this is interesting, Russ, where do we get that from, scripturally? Because, again, there's very little about Satan. I mean, Jesus believed in Satan. Scripture talks about the devil. It talks about Satan. But, but as far as his uh, origin story, mm -hmm. right, we yeah. don't have a whole lot on that. Yeah, we don't, we don't have a whole lot on that. Um, and what we do have is a little bit challenging to, to connect the dots with. And so we want to be a, a little bit careful about you know, how much we feel like we can say authoritatively about this. So there's three things, there's three passages that, that we might look to when we talk about Jesus, uh, uh, Satan's origin. Um, in, in Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 7, it talks about his fall. It talks about, sa it talks about Satan and the demons um, opposing God and the war in heaven and um, how Satan is cast down to the earth. And so... That doesn't really tell us who he was or where he came from or, or what. Um, but there's a couple of Old Testament prophetic passages that cast some light on that. And both of them, Isaiah 14, we'll look at them in a sec, and Ezekiel 28, both of them, the prophet is talking about a human character. But then he begins to ascribe certain uh, traits or certain qualities to that character that could not apply to just that human character alone. And so this is a, this is a form of literature in the Old Testament where um, it, there's a technical term for it. I won't bore you with that, but the idea is that you, the, the argument moves from one, um, one idea to a similar idea in another realm. So it's an interpretation that says, okay, here, here's, this, here's this king, this human king. Oh, and that king really reminds us of this other character. And so I really start talking about the king, but I end up talking about the other character. And, and that's, uh, you know, it's, it, if you look at it, it, it you go that, 
you know, this is somebody else besides the king, and it, it makes it really clear who he's talking about. We believe um, that he's talking about um, Satan in both of those passages. So let's go ahead and read those. I think this will be interesting for people to hear. And again, there's little on the origin story of, of, of Satan, but these are passages that, that many people, many th- theologians believe are actually talking about mm-hmm. Satan. So Isaiah 14 verses 12 to 15. I'm going to read it, and let I want people to hear how we can draw this conclusion. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. So Isaiah was earlier, just the verse before, he's talking about a human king. Yeah, king of Babylon or something, king of Tyre. I can't remember which one is which. Yeah. But he's talking about a human king, and suddenly he, he breaks into this language that seems to transcend the human king's ex- experience. Yeah, and, and in some places in Scripture, stars w- are used to refer to demons, mm-hmm. right? So he's, mm-hmm. I'll read it again. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars or angels. Mm-hmm. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north, I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, Isaiah says, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depth. So again, is this Lucifer, is this Satan talking about um, his desire to be above God? Mm-hmm. This, is one, this is one interpretation. Yeah, the pride of, the pride of, of Lucifer that... Um where he to elevate himself, and and so here's an angel who moves out, like we're like it talked about in Peter and in Jude, who went beyond his place, so to speak, right? Yeah, in fact, Lucifer, the word Lucifer is in this text, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the word, uh, the shining star is Lucifer. If you uh, know Latin or anything like that, you know lucid or lux. Lux is the Latin word for light, and mm-hmm. so it means the the the, the light bearing one. Okay, so there's one. So Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. The other example then in the, in the prophetic books of the Old Testament comes from Ezekiel 28. And this is starting in verse 13 and going all the way to verse 17. Again, he's, Ezekiel's talking about, I think this is the one where this he's talking about... King of Tyre. King of think, Tyre. Yeah. And, and then, he starts, then he, he starts talking apparently about somebody else. Right, so you have to ask, when you, re- when you hear these words being read, you have to ask, wait, does that really apply to the earthly king of Tyre? Right, because verse 13, it says this, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Wait, how many people were there, right? So the Adam, <laughs> Eve, the serpent. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. So this, again, this is why we read this and we say, I think, I think he's not talking about the king of Tyre anymore. Right. right. And then he goes on later on, he says this, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. Remember, Lucifer, mm-hmm. Satan was an angel. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created, mm-hmm. right? Because, yeah. because Jesus didn't create the devil. Jesus didn't create the demons. He created all things good. He created angels mm-hmm. to be good. So he says, you were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until, until. Mm-hmm. the day evil was found in you. Mm-hmm. And he said, you, your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned, so I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, 
from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, you know, again, these are passages that are a little bit obscure, but um, there's certainly something going on that's at least very suggestive, and as you try to connect the dots, it helps us to understand. It fits in with the other things that we've been reading about, you know, Satan as created as an angel, but um, fell from his angelic status because of his pride, because of his desire to usurp God. Yeah, so read it for yourself, Romans, or, sorry, Revelation 12, Isaiah 14, and Ezekiel 28. All right, let's go on to the second thing. Let's talk, we're, we're still talking about Satan, so he's just a fallen angel, that's number one. Number two, this is obvious, Satan is furiously opposed to God's work. In fact, the name Satan is actually just a Hebrew word that means adversary. Yeah, yeah, so... You could say, call him the adversary, and sometimes we do. We call him, we have an enemy, we have a, you know, a, a spiritual adversary. And so that, that capsulizes, in one sense, what his passion, what his mission is, to oppose uh, whatever God's trying to do, whatever God's trying to do in the world, whatever God's trying to do in your life and my life. Yeah, in fact, Jesus said it like this in John 10.10. 10. He, I think he's talking about Satan here. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. That is Satan's purpose. That is the adversary's purpose. Remember, we've talked about this before. He he rules the fallen world system in rebellion against God. Mm-hmm. So part of how he's he's going to try to steal and kill and destroy is through the world system. Right. And part of how he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy is by influencing your flesh, which we talked about last right. time. Exactly. So he's called the prince of this world. Um, the prince of the power of the air, he has authority. He has some some uh, he has some certainly power in the world, and he's going to use. So I think you know back to our conversation about demonization. Uh, again, really, for most of us, the issues are going to be through the world system, through the flesh, and not some kind of overt manifestation of um, you know of demons popping up in you know in people's lives in, in that fashion. So we really have to be prepared for what Satan is going to try to do um, in the life of Christians, because he wants to oppose everything God wants for, for you. He wants to oppose God's promises and God's purpose in your life. Yeah, in fact, Jesus said the second half of that verse from John 10.10, 10, you know, Jesus said, my purpose is to give people a rich and satisfying life. So mm-hmm. we see the battle. Yeah. You know, we have, we have the the enemy, the adversary, we have Satan and his demons trying to steal, kill, and destroy, working against God's purpose, which is to give us a rich and satisfying life. And right there, even right there, some non-Christians don't even get that. They don't even understand that Jesus' purpose for their life is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Mm-hmm. Now, that means we need to live according to his His commandments and his way, and that's part of how the enemy fools people is he gets you to think, no, no, you're going to have a rich and satisfying life if you follow your own heart, if you do right. things your way. Actually, that's not true at all. That's not true. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the, thing, the interesting thing about Satan, I mean, you could learn a lot if you go back and look at Genesis chapter 3. We've done that at different times. But, um, you know, there's this sense in which, all right, most people in the, in the world are not like uh, demon, uh, Satan worshipers in the sense of like, oh, the cult of where you, 
you know, you're making offerings and sacrifices and kind of the obscure things that maybe some rock musicians have done or that, or that are in the movies. But nevertheless, Satan holds sway over the lives of ordinary human beings without, they don't have, you don't have to be a, a Satan worshiper to have uh, Satan at work in your, in your life and have some sway over your life. Yeah, in fact, that leads us to the to the next thing, number three about Satan. This is this is important for people to hear. Satan is on the hunt for vulnerable Christians, and we get that from First Peter five eight. This is a a real mm-hmm. sobering verse. It yeah. says, "Stay alert." Peter's saying this to the church. He says, "Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around." He gives us this metaphor. He prowls mm-hmm. around like a roaring lion, lion looking for someone to devour. It's interesting, he's not, he's not looking for everyone. Right. Uh, this is what I take from right. it. He's not looking for everyone to devour. He knows he's not going to get everybody. Right, that's a great point. He's looking for the vulnerable ones. Right, the ones who aren't alert. And so that's the key is the ones who are not watching out, because that's what Peter says. He says, stay alert, watch out for this enemy. And he has, he's a great enemy. Like he, he, doesn't, he doesn't compare, he compares him to a lion, he doesn't compare him to a kitty cat, mm-hmm. you know. So there's some, something there that, that is, um, th- there's a reality that we have to really reckon with. Now, again, the extremes, we can underplay it or overplay it, but we have to be aware that, yes, Satan does have power, and he's on the prowl looking for vulnerable Christians. Yeah, I remember years ago, we, we went up to a... Uh, to a spot up in Montana, a, a friend of a friend had a bunch of wild exotic animals in cages up there. It was really bizarre, like a grizzly bear and a big old a big old lion and, and a and a like a massive panther. And I remember we were there with our, our son was young at the time; he was probably six or seven years old. And I remember that panther. I wish it was the lion because it would really work for this passage, but it's close <laughs> yeah. enough. That panther was literally prowling back and forth in its cage, and it was locked on my son. It was staring down my son, and the, the owner of the place, he said, hey, look at what that panther's doing. He picked out the youngest one in the crowd, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, if, I mean, if that cage wasn't there, he'd be going after you. You'd be lunch, yeah. he said to my son. That was a, it was kind of a spooky thing to see the look in that panther's eyes. It was prowling back and forth, and this is, this is, how, this is how lions and panthers are, are, are built, and this is how Satan is built, too. He is going to be locked in mm-hmm. on the vulnerable ones. He's going to be locked in on those who are allowing footholds to be established in their life. Those who, who, those who say, oh, I don't think the devil's after me, you know, those who are maybe not thinking about it correctly, he's yeah. going to be locked in. Yeah, that's a great point. All right. So how does, how does he hunt? What tool does he use? This, this is the next thing. Satan's greatest tool is deceit. Remember, Satan's not creative. He's not a creator. He doesn't. He can't create anything. He didn't speak right. the world into existence. He didn't right. make everything that we see. All Satan can do is twist and lie and deceive. That's what he can do. That's what he's going to do. And there are so many scriptures that talk about one. Of, one of it is Second uh, Corinthians eleven, verse thirteen and fourteen. It says, "These people." He's, Paul's talking to the Corinthian church about some of the false teachers in the church. Mm-hmm. He said they're false apostles, they're deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. He said, but I'm not surprised because 
Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Right. So that, that's, again, it's a deception. It's a ruse, a camouflage, you know, to put on a costume so that people would accept his message or accept his, his concepts. He pictures himself as something positive, as something appealing and attractive. In fact, several false religions were started yeah. because of an angelic appearance. Right. An angel appears, and, and so people, yeah. That's a great point. So here's here's Satan at work in a literal sense through this sort of uh, this deceitful angelic appearance, but it also it also reminds us that you know in a more of a metaphorical sense as well that you know Satan is going to use false appearances and false attraction to try to get us to buy a lie. Yeah, First Timothy four says now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times. Some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Yeah. So again, the point is, people are the strategy for turning people away from the faith is deception. Right. Second Corinthians four four. I've got just some more scripture here. We got it. We got. No, this is yeah. great. Yeah. It's a Satan who is the god of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So again, Satan is trying to blind the minds of, of people who don't believe. This is what he's doing. In fact, Jesus himself said it like this in John 8, verse 44. Mm-hmm. Satan has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he's a liar and the father of he's lies. the father of lies. It's like... Jesus says he's like speaking his native language. It's consistent with his character. It's, it's who he is. Yeah. And so that's the, that we can expect that his strategy in our life is going to be to get us to buy into a lie, to deceive us, and, and, and to, in order to lead us away from you know, the best that God has for us. In fact, Jesus there in John 8 is talking to religious people yeah. who were buying into the lie. Yeah. They, they bought the lie of Satan that... that was cloaked in Judaism, essentially, right. Yeah. right? yeah. And Jesus had some pretty harsh words, not just for Satan, but even for them. For them. Saying, yeah. if, look, if you buy into these lies, and a lot of these lies were spiritually related, right? If you, if you buy into these Absolutely. lies, then, then, you're a, then, then your father is Satan. Your father isn't Abraham. Right. Your father, your father is actually, actually your children of Satan in some, right. in some sense, because you're like him and you're following him. You may not realize it. So I think that's really insightful because we think of Satan pe- having influence just through, in people who are uh, depraved, you know, who are out you know, pursuing all kinds of um, godless behaviors and so forth. Um, but this shows that Satan's alive and well and at work in religion, in, among religious people who are maybe very even sincere mm-hmm. about their beliefs. Okay, so we've got one more truth about Satan. This has been, this has been great, really informational, but before we give it out, I, I want to review where we've been on the Satan topic. Satan is just a fallen angel. That was number one. Number two, Satan is furiously opposed to God's work. He's the adversary. Number three, he's on the hunt for vulnerable Christians. Number four, his greatest tool is deceit. He's a liar and the father of lies. And this last one, I, we, we need to end on a positive note here, Ross, because yeah, I don't want sure. people to get the wrong idea when they're listening to this and they're gathering all this intel, this biblical intel about Satan and demons. The last thing that people need to know is that Satan will one day face God's final judgment. Yeah, so, you know, this is, again, we pointed out earlier that with respect to the demons... 
created beings, you know, they, there's, it's not like there's this duality in the world. There's a, a good and an evil force at work that are competing with each other that have equal, and we don't know what the outcome will be. Uh, you know, Jesus is way more powerful. He has all the power and authority in the world over every uh, demonic force and power over Satan himself. And we don't know entirely why God gives Satan some latitude right now in this world today, but one day that'll all come to an end. Yeah, Revelation 20 gives us that picture of that day. Verse 10, it says, Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet, and there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So if you want to know the end of the story, that's right. the end of the story for Satan. So apparently Satan is not one of the demons who has been bound already. Right. Some demons are already bound, some aren't. Satan is one who is not fully bound yet, mm -hmm. but there's coming a day, Revelation 20.10, where Satan will be bound forever, forever, and we don't mm -hmm. have to worry about him anymore. And I love Romans 16.20 talks about this. He says... The, I love this. Paul's. Mm -hmm. This is how Paul signs off his letter to the Romans. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Yeah, under your feet. So he's, he's given us authority, and he's given us dominion. And, and in fact, in Colossians chapter 2, it, it's, it's really encouraging to say, oh, it's not just the future some, somewhere out there, uh, but, but actually, in Colossians 2, it says that Jesus, when we went to the cross, he canceled the record of charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross, that's our salvation. But part of that, he says, in this way, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So Satan and the demons have already been defeated in principle. Um, they only keep going because God is allowing it for some reason. I look at it like, so it's softball season right now. And last week we won big. We won 18 to 1. Okay, so by the, by the second inning... Uh, it was not in doubt. By the first inning, it was not in doubt who was going to win the game. We had essentially won the game. But the rules are we play for f an hour. <laughs> so we played five innings, and um, you know we didn't need the rest of the innings. for some. But, but we kept on playing, and the other team kept on having opportunities you know, to try to do their worst. Um, but the outcome was not in doubt. And so this, like, the outcome is not in doubt with respect to Satan and his future. And you know, even though Satan is losing and, and will lose and has lost, you know, he's still playing out his allotted innings, even though that we know who wins the game. Oh, what a great analogy. So remember, demonic activity is as real today as it was in Jesus' day, even though it might look a little different, especially here in the U.S. It's real. We need to respect that Satan and demons exist, and they are going to do everything they can to pull us away from God and from his influence in our lives with the good news is that we have victory in Christ. The battle's already won. Satan already knows he's going to lose. He knows, he knows how the story ends, and we do too now. If you want to talk about this topic with your family, with your small group, with a mentor, you can find these resources along with a, lo a lot of other resources on Satan and demons and Jesus and salvation and all that stuff. Find it all at pursuegod.org forward slash warfare. And make sure to join us next week as we wrap up this series with lesson number five.